This message was given at Campus Fellowship's 2021 Winter Retreat in Estes Park, Colorado by Jacob Vansickle, pastor of Sacred City Church in Providence, Rhode Island. The theme of the conference was discern, how to discern God's will for your life. We hope you find this encouraging. I'm also excited because I just love speaking to, talking with, hearing from, listening to college students. Being in college is an amazing time of life. Would you guys agree it's an amazing time of life? It's a really unique time of life. It's like this weird social experiment where you just got taken up from wherever you came from, and you go to a new university with new people, new friends, new classes. Oftentimes you're living in a new place. Oftentimes you're in a new city, and you're figuring it out. It's, it's a time of just being a blank slate, almost. You can just leave behind. Did anybody do that? Okay, I was this in high school, and I'm going to be this in college. Did anybody do that? Okay, I did that. Okay, it's, it's like, it's a, it's a time of newness and freshness. And that's not just exciting, just in that. It's also exciting because you're figuring out the rest of your life. You're figuring it out. So who here is wrestling with what you're going to do for a job? Anybody wrestling? Yeah, a lot of people are like, I've changed my major 10 times. And I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing for a job. For some of you, you're trying to figure out just who you are. You know, you're figuring out your own rhythms of life and how you're going to spend your time. You have all this new freedom. You're like, okay, forget classes. I'm just trying to figure out who I am. Is anybody wrestling with that? Okay, a few honest people. That's almost everybody. Okay. And some of you are trying to figure out where you're going to live after you graduate. Are you going to stay in the same town you're currently in? Are you going to go back home? Are you going to go to like some cool city like New York or London? Are you going to go off to grad school or whatever? You're trying to figure that out. Or who's trying to figure out who they're going to marry? Anybody? Anybody trying to figure that out? You're all liars. Okay? <laughs> Statistically, 28% of you will find your spouse in college. And in Christian circles, it's much higher. I don't, I don't have a stat, and like, you didn't do research on that, but I know it's much higher than that. So you're all liars. I'm changing the next talk to thou shalt not lie. <laughs> you're trying to figure out life. Now, as I'm going through all of these things, you can just feel the stress building up. That's a lot of stressful things. Anybody feel the stress just building up of all the things you need to figure out in a short period of time? No, by the way, you're spending thousands upon thousands and thousands of dollars to do it, okay? It's a stressful time. And I think that this is particularly stressful in this day and age. And it's particularly stressful in this day and age, not because you have a harder situation. Let's be honest, some of your grandparents were like driving tanks into Germany. <laughs> that's kind of a more stressful situation that's more stressful than making a TikTok video or whatever you're doing. It's like, it's not more stressful because of the situation that a choice you have in front of you. It's stressful because of the amount of choices you have in front of you. Your great-grandpa, your grandpa, they didn't really have a choice. They had, okay, okay here's the tank, go. Okay, then it's not much of a choice. 
But you have so many choices in front of you. You know, back in the day, you're a baker, you go to your career advisor, or your, your last name's Baker, you go to a career advisor, what are they going to say? You're a baker, sorry kid. You know, it's like you don't really get much of a choice, but now, it's the whole world is in front of you. All these choices. You can't go to the grocery store without having like a hundred different options for toothpaste. And what does this do? Creates anxiety, creates stress, pressure. And, and right now, a lot of people are being crippled by it. So what is the conference? What are we going to look at? We're looking at discern. What is God's will for my life? And we're looking at this not... This has been an age-old question. People have talked about this since the beginning. But I especially want to talk about it now because of the anxiety issue. Because I think if we can get clarity on what God has before us, we can not only have confidence about our future, we can have peace in our present. You can have peace as all the options are swirling around you. Around you, you can have peace, even though you're like, I went, I'm going through all the things you're trying to figure out, and you're like, oh yeah, don't have that figured out. Yep, don't have that figured out. You can have peace even when you don't have anything figured out. Because God speaks into these things. He speaks into them. Now we're going to go over one passage, uh, mainly, today. And that's Romans 12, 1 through 2. So, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Romans 12, 1 through 2. If you have a phone, you want to turn there, and keep it there the entire time, that's fine as well. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read it. We're going to pray to ask God to be gracious with us tonight and guide us tonight. And we're going to unpack it. This is what it says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would guide us tonight, that you would help us to see what is good and acceptable and perfect. Help us to understand. Help us to discern. Lord, we want to acknowledge that if you do not speak to us, if you do not give us the power of your spirit to understand, none of this makes sense. None of this will be worth it. But your spirit is here. You are present with us. And we thank you for that. And we ask that you would open our eyes. Amen. Now it's pretty obvious why we're going through this passage, right? 
to discern what the will of God is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. But before we get there, we have to look back. This is what it says, it starts in Romans 12. It says, therefore, therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, looking back into everything he had, has written previously. So this book of Romans, this little section of Romans that you have, it's a letter to a church in Rome. And the Apostle Paul who's writing it has never been there before. So unlike a lot of letters that he's talking about all these specific things to the Corinthians, or this specific things to the Ephesians, this is his most general letter. Because he doesn't know a lot of the people that are there. He knows some, we'll see, we see that in the last chapter. But he doesn't know a lot, so he starts from ground zero and he builds up. He builds up an argument. He builds up what they need to know. And the biggest thing he's building up is what is the gospel or the good news. Gospel was used in ancient times when there was a new king or a new emperor or a new Caesar. They would come into town and announce they're the new emperor now. Or if there was a new emperor that was born, a new baby was born into the lineage, they would come in and they would announce this is your new Caesar. This is your new king. And that's what the gospel means here. It's good news to a people. This is your new king. So in order to understand how to discern the will of God is good, pleasing, and perfect will, we have to go through, I appeal to you, therefore, concerning the mercies of God. The mercies of God. This little summary of what the gospel is. So we'll start in Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16 says this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is the general message of the gospel. Spoiler alert. This is where we're going. That it's not what you do. But the most important thing is not what you do but is what God has already done. And he opens up. Scholars say, this is the thesis statement of his entire letter. That I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God to save you. So he's going to unpack the power of God to save each and every one of you. By name. You, 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 you. The power of God to save you. He's going to unpack. Now, in order to understand, save you, what does save even mean? I'm sure a lot of you grew up hearing that, God wants to save you. What does that even mean? The theologian R.C. Sproul, when he was a kid, before he was a Christian, someone came to him and said, son, are you saved? And he had this very simple, profound question. As an unbeliever, it's like, saved from what? Saved from what? When we say that God will save you, what is He saving you from? And we see it in verse 18. Two verses later. God saves us. We need to be saved because we are guilty before Him. God saves us from His judgment. 
This is what it says in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We need to be saved because we are guilty before God. Now, Paul knows, I know, anyone who has ever shared the gospel knows that when you initially say you are guilty before God, there's a pushback. A pushback of, no, I'm not, or I'm not that guilty. Sure, there are some things, but I'm not that guilty. So what he does is he unpacks how we know we are guilty before God. And the first thing he shows is this. We reject what is plain in creation. We reject what is plain in creation. Tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up. Who got here at night and you didn't really see much of the mountains? Okay? It's going to, and especially if this is your first time, you're going to wake up and it's like, wow. It's beautiful. You're just surrounded by beauty. You're going to wake up and you're going to see those. And you can either say, God made it and give him all the credit for it. Or you can say, thank you, blind chance. <laughs> so it's, those are kind of the two options. G.K. Chesterton said, the problem with being an atheist is you're thankful, but you don't have anyone to thank. You can attribute it to a creator or something else. In, in Romans 1, he unpacked, and I wish we could go through all of these verses, but we can't for the sake of brevity. In Romans 1, he's saying, look at creation. You know God exists. Theologians call it the sensus divinitatis, the sense of the divine inside of you. Each and every one of us knows. You look at those numbers. You look at the beauty of the ocean. Look at the intricacy of creation. Deep down, you know. And it's that knowledge that says you're guilty because you know and you don't do anything. Or you stiff on God. The next one is this. We worship creation over God. Romans 1, 21 through 23. We take all the stuff and we worship it instead of the creator. Now in some cultures, this is literally taking little statues and worshiping the statues. But every culture does it. We take this stuff and we prioritize it above God. And this is really easy to look at. All you have to do is look at your bank account, your Google Calendar, how you spend your time, and your thought life. And then ask, who's in control? <laughs> That's all you have to do. It's like, look at those three things. Who's God? Who's being worshipped? Who's being prioritized? We are guilty before God because we prioritize His stuff above Him. We worship His stuff before Him. His stuff's good. He made it. He kind of likes it. He made it. But it's not better than Him. The next reason why we're guilty before God is we judge other people. Some of you, you've been nodding your head the entire time, and you're like, I'm so glad so-and-so's here to hear this. It's like, you might even thought, should I nudge him? I think I should. Should I nudge him? You know, it's like, well, Romans 2, Paul knows that in every crowd, in Rome, he knows that they're there too. There are those who are judging other people. And he says, come on, 
you do the same thing. You do the same thing. Another killer quote from G.K. Chesterton, he said, it's like God will judge us for every time we think or say, you ought. Think of every time you thought, they ought to do that, or they ought not to do that. It's like if God on Judgment Day just took out that, every time we thought some other person, oh, like, come on, man, come on. And it's like every time we did that, either verbally or in our minds, could you stand that judgment? By your own standard. It's your standard. He takes it out and just reads it. You could not stand that judgment. You'd be guilty. And the last thing is we are guilty before God because of God's word. We know God's word. Now I know some of you might not know his word. You might not have his, you, you know, this, might, this is my first Christian conference and someone just handed me a Bible and threw me in a car and here I am. You know, it's like, that could be you. And I'm so glad, so glad that you're here. But for others, you know you've heard the Bible a lot. Maybe throughout your entire college career or every week of your life, you're basically born in church and you've heard a lot of Bible. In Romans 3, he's saying, what's the benefit, you know, it's like, what's the benefit of being a part of God's people, the Israelites? He says, you get the scriptures. He gives all these verses. And all the verses say, you're guilty. It's saying, like, God's word, one of the benefits, there's so many benefits. One of the benefits is it shows us where we actually are before God. We're guilty before him. We all fall short of the glory of God. We need saving. And Paul takes three chapters to get us to that point where we humble ourselves. And we see that we can't do it. And we look up. And it's at that moment in Romans 3, verses 24 through 25, this is what he says and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. He says all these things show that you need saving, but this is how He saves. He saves you as a gift of grace through what Jesus does on the cross. <coughs> Propitiation just being the payment. The payment that Jesus gives on the cross. The gospel reveals, the reason why it's good news, is it reveals what kind of king God is. It reveals what kind of God God is. And again, we don't have time to unpack it all, but here are just three things the gospel reveals. As Paul goes through Romans. The first one is this, is God is just and loving. Romans 3.26. And here's the assignment for tomorrow. Look up all the verses. <laughs> it's like, it would be really good. Just go through. If you need a place to start reading your Bible, just go through Romans. Throughout all of time, people have brought these accusations towards God. God, you are not loving. And God, you are not just. You don't care. And you're not good. You turn on the news. You see all the horrible things. 
It's easy for people to say, okay, look at all the horrible things. God's not paying attention. He doesn't love us. He's not good. He's not just. Or he, he'd figure this out. He'd get rid of all this evil. But if we only realize that if he just started getting rid of evil, he said, okay, starts get 1% of evil, 2% of evil, 3% of evil. What is in the percentage? We are the percentage. It's just 1% of the population, 2% of the population, 3% of the population. You know what we would do? We'd say, what happened to second chances? Doesn't God love us? Doesn't God care? Doesn't God forgive? That's what we would say. God isn't loving. He isn't just. And the cross of Jesus Christ, what he does on the cross, answers both of those questions. How can God both be loving and just? How can he be the just and the justifier? And on the cross, he takes our sins. He takes sins seriously. Every horrible thing that you've done, every horrible thing that has been done to you, everything that you see on the news, he takes seriously. So serious that he would die for it. So serious that he would pour out the wrath of the Father on the Son for it. He hates it. He takes care of sin, but he also brings in the sinner. He is both just and the justifier. He gets rid of the barrier that is between us and him, and that is our sin. And when he removes it, we can be reconciled to him. The second thing that the gospel shows is in Romans 4, is that it's God's work, not our work. It's God's work, not our work. Just summarizing the entire chapter, but basically this is the point. You don't work for it. <laughs> you don't work for it. You couldn't work for it if you tried. And in fact, if the system was you work for it, it'd be like receiving a check at the end of the, at the, end of the week. If you work the entire... Let's say, who here has a job? Okay, Who here, when you get the check, do you go into your boss and say, thank you. Get down all on your knees and just thank you, thank you, thank you. And it's like, the answer is none of you. In fact, you would make a phone call. It would take seconds to make that phone call if you didn't get it. Because if this is the correlation. If salvation's like that, God owes you. But it's not like that. He doesn't owe you anything. It is a gift. So if you received a check paying all of your school debt, would you run and get on your knees and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you? I think you would. Because it would be a gift. You can't work for it. The average person, if you ask the average person on the street, hey, will you go to heaven? They'll say, yeah. And if you say, well, I'm say, I'm a pretty good person. No, no, I do pretty good. And then people think it's like a scale. The good over here, the bad over here, as long as the good just... It outweighs the bad, I'll be all right. It'd be like someone standing before the judge and saying, I know I murdered a guy, okay? One guy 
seven billion people I didn't murder. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. It's like, that's what it'd be like. In fact, I like these people. It's that one guy that I didn't like. It's like, no judge would be like, you know, you have one. You know, it's like, this, no judge would do that. Because it wouldn't be right. And we can't do that either. It is completely by His grace and gift. And we believe it in faith. We grasp it in faith. God, you're my only hope. The last thing the gospel shows is in Romans 5. is that God provides a substitute. If we can't do it, we need someone else to do it. So Jesus comes and he lives a life that we cannot live. And he dies a death that we cannot die. To give us something that we could not earn. He stands in our place so that we can stand in his place. Whereas it says in 2 Corinthians 5, that he takes our sin so that we can have his righteousness. Although he knew no sin, he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, as soon as you start to share this gospel with someone, you start walking through it, all the yeah buts start to come out. All the yeah buts. And Paul knows, like, knows this. It's like he's the press secretary. You know, if you ever watch some of those, it's brutal. It's, I don't care who's in office, it's always brutal to watch the press secretary answer questions. They say something, and then immediately all the hands shoot up. And it's like that in Romans. He's unpacking the gospel, and hands start shooting up. So Romans 6, a hand shoots up. Okay, you're saying it's a gift? You're saying we don't do anything. Oh, so we can do whatever we want? So grace may abound? And Paul's like, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. Because if you're saved, you get the Spirit. If you're saved, you get the Spirit, and the Spirit will change you. God doesn't save anyone and not change them. So what you're saying is impossible. You can't live however you want, because the Spirit won't let you. Saved people change. Then another hand shoots up. Okay, so we got the Spirit. So it's going to be pretty easy, right? If we got the Spirit, we can just... This waltz into heaven, it's going to be pretty easy from here on out. Oh, no, no, no. Romans 7. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be hard. And sometimes you're going to do what you don't want to do. And sometimes you're going to end and you're going to be like, Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this body of death? And then another hand shoots up. Well, I know that feeling. And I fail and I fail and I fail. And when I fail, is God going to forsake me? Is God going to give up on me? Romans 8. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate you from the love of God. Nothing in all of creation. And another hand shoots up. Romans 9. Okay, well, if God's so faithful, what happened to his people, the Israelites? Seems like a lot aren't believing. 
Oh, no, no, no. You don't see. You're not born into the kingdom. Not all of Israel is Israel. It's based off of God's choice and His election. And another hand shoots up, oh, I guess we don't have to share the gospel then. If it's all what God does, I guess we don't have to share the gospel. Romans 10. Romans 10. No, no, no. In order for people to believe, they have to hear. In order for someone to hear, someone has to be sent to them, or someone has to preach to them. In order for someone to preach to them, someone has to be sent to them. Church, you're given a mission to reach the world. Go and reach the world. Okay, well, if it's about all the nations and it's about reaching the world, I guess he really has forgotten about his people, the Israelites. Oh, no, no, no. It's going to be glorious. He's going to reach the entire world, Romans 11, even his people. It's going to be spectacular. And you better lean in, be a part of it, and see it. And this is how he ends. This is how he ends Romans 11. Romans 11. It's like he gets to this climax and all Paul can do is pray. This is what it says in verse 36, Romans 11. For him, or for from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This God through his gospel, has saved you. He has stood in your place, although you deserve to be punished, no doubt. He has reconciled with you. He has loved you. He has chosen you. He has given you a mission. He has taken you out of a purposeless existence, and he's given you a mission. Therefore, by the mercies of God, If you do not understand Romans 1 through 11, we should just go home. Because it is the foundation on which we discern the will of God, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So with that in mind, what do we do? Next verse, or next part of the verse. It says, by the mercies of God, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Thomas Erskine, no idea if I'm saying his last name right now, so uh, don't go out and say, you know Thomas Erskine, I have no idea. Um, this is what he said, he says, in the New Testament, religion is grace and ethics is gratitude. Religion is grace, what is the whole thing, how does it work? Grace. And what is our response? Gratitude. We say, okay, here it is. I am so thankful to you. We pray to God, for God, I am overwhelmed with gratitude that I cannot help to give up my life as a living sacrifice to you. Here it is. I recently read a story about Damien Davis in Scotland. His friend Wayne Wilson had died of leukemia, leaving behind his wife and his two-year-old daughter. And he wanted to do something. You know, he couldn't do anything for his friend. His friend has passed, but he's like, I could raise some money. 
for the family, and I, I believe for the Leukemia Society. So he gets this group of uh, people together. Do we have the picture of the group of people together on the mountain? It's okay. Imagine people on a mountain. Okay? Yeah, you got it. Imagine people on a mountain. And they're going to climb... What, what is the name of the mountain? It's, it's the Three Peak Challenge at Ben Navis in Scotland. Okay? So I guess this is a challenge that a lot of people do. And they're going to climb this peak to raise money. So they get going, and it's a really hard climb. Very steep, very dangerous. I think by the end, by the time they get to the bottom, like half the party got injured during the time. It was really hard. And I'm reading this story, and I resonated with it so much. And not necessarily in the, like, doing the challenge to raise money. Like, that's a good thing. I've done things like that, and I'm sure a lot of, a lot of you have done or would do something like that if the, if the situation arose. But that wasn't the biggest thing that resonated with me in my own life experience. What resonated with me is what happened when they got to the top. They get to the top, and Damien gets a phone call. And like, Damien, you climbed the wrong peak. <laughs> That's what resonated with me. Um, because all my life, I'm like, okay, good intentions, here we go. Horrible application. That's my entire life. So I read this story, I'm like, Damien, he's one of my guys. <laughs> it's like, my, my earliest memory, here's a little aside, my earliest memory is we were playing in sand, and we were afraid of snakes. Okay, so we wanted to protect ourselves and protect all the other kids from snakes. Okay, good intention. We did that by peeing in the sand <laughs> before we played every day. <laughs> okay? okay, what is that horrible application? Okay, <laughs> or one of my earliest memories in school, or my no, my earliest memory in school, preschool teacher. I really liked my preschool teacher. I wanted her to understand that when I was around her, I felt like I was at home. Okay, so I said, I can't remember her name, but Mrs. So and So. You are so homely. <laughs> I did not know as a child that that meant ugly. <laughs> okay? And she like gasped. And I'm like, <laughs> okay? So I read this story about Damien. I'm like, he's one of my guys. Okay? But then I started to think about it. What would happen if he got the phone call halfway up? Do you think he would have finished? Okay, how about a quarter of the way up? I don't, I don't know, we could have a vote. I don't, we, it's a hypothetical, we don't really know what he would do. I'm guessing they wouldn't have finished. And the reason why they wouldn't have finished, at least I, my, that's my guess, is because worth drives sacrifice. Worth drives sacrifice. So raising money for your deceased friend and his wife and two-year-old daughter, high worth. It's okay, I roll my ankle, I'll finish. I'll get to the top. Climbing the wrong peak, low worth. I'm not willing to sacrifice for that. And this is the way life works. You sacrifice for what you find 
to be worthy. Everyone does it. You do it. Everyone does it. You sacrifice for what you find to be worthy. I want to read the King James Version. I don't usually read the King James Version of the same verse. There's going to be some these and thous. It's going to be a little bit old. But there's one word. I just love the way they translated this one word. This is what it says. Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren. See, there you go. Old school. Okay? By the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Here it is. Which is your reasonable service. Reasonable. The Amplified Version says reasonable. Rational, intelligent. It makes sense. And the reason it's reasonable, and the reason it's rational, is because the worth makes sense. As I had mentioned before, myself and a number of people uprooted our lives and moved to Providence, Rhode Island. And with, with all, all of that, it comes to sacrifice. Sacrifice away from family. Sacrifice away from friends. Sacrifice of money. Sacrifice of time. Sacrifice of comfort. And a part of getting acclimated is understanding that sacrifice and being okay with that sacrifice. But something that I've been trying to help myself understand and help our team to understand is we need to see the sacrifice in perspective. For example... Who here has had somebody, a friend or a family member, they graduate from college and instantly get like a, a sweet job? Has anybody had, had that happen? Okay, it's like, okay, I, I got a job, it's, you probably haven't heard of it, it's called NASA. Okay, okay. <laughs> like they just instantly, okay, wow, that's, okay. I just got a, this is a little company called Amazon headquarters, okay? It's like, it's like they instantly get a sweet job. Or they instantly they just get into a sweet grad program. I'm going to Harvard. It's like, okay, going to Yale, going to Brown and Providence, okay. They're, whatever. It's like they're going somewhere awesome. Or maybe they just move because it's just a sweet place to live. It's like I'm moving to the, the Rockies. I'm going to some sweet global city like San Francisco or London, or Barcelona, or whatever, okay? It's the same move. And for some people, it's a more difficult move when you're moving to another country. But this is what I've noticed, the way people talk to, to myself, not in like a mean way, and the way people I've heard talk about, oh, you got a job on Amazon? Is they talk in a, a completely different way. You know, you get a job at Amazon, you move across the country and sacrifice for it. Everybody's like, oh man, what an opportunity. You decide to backpack across Europe. People are like, oh, you're young, live it up. You know, it's like, or whatever. Like, people are, okay. But you decide to go on a church plan. It's the same move, same miles. People are like, that's so brave. That's so brave. You know, that what a sacrifice. And you know why people have a big difference in their minds and why people react so differently? It comes down to worth. What they view as worthy. And so, okay, so it's like, you make a sacrifice for the gospel? And I'm talking about you. 
I'm sure there are a lot of sacrifices accumulated in this room, okay? You make a sacrifice, you're like, I made a sacrifice. I want you to put, put, take that same sacrifice, put it in a different arena. Is it still impressive? <laughs> Worth drives sacrifice. We need to see God as the ultimate worth. Jesus is the ultimate worth. Or we will not be able to live the Christian life. We just won't. Everything we do in life needs to pass the Peter test. The Peter test. In John 6, <clears throat> John 6, Jesus says something controversial again. And a lot of people leave. And he turns to his disciples and he says, are you going to leave? And Peter says, what? Where else would I go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Every single one of you needs to pass that test. Where else would I go? Nowhere else has life. Nowhere else. Jesus, you are worthy. I will not have life outside of you. Now, we're going to end with some practical application. How do you actually live out that worth? How do you live out that life of sacrifice, the reasonable sacrifice in the day-to-day -day life? Well, Paul gives two explanations. He, he unpacks the sacrifice in two different ways. The first one is this. Application number one. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. The Greek word for conform means to fit a pattern or to fit a mold. The world has a mold. The world has a pattern. And it's saying, don't be conformed to that pattern, that mold. God has a different mold. Okay, I want you to close your eyes. Okay, everybody close your eyes. Some of you are already closing your eyes. You guys are quick studies, okay? Okay? Close your eyes. I want you to imagine yourself in 10 years. Imagine yourself in 10 years. Okay? 2000. What is it? 2031. Or almost 2032, basically. Okay? Where are you at? Where are you living? What kind of apartment or house or box, really nice box, do you have? Okay? <laughs> are you married? Do you have kids? What kind of job do you have? Okay? Do you have hair? Okay. What's your waistline like? The kids will affect that. So, <laughs> you're part of that equation. Um, think through it. Are you happy? What are your friendships like? Are you the same friends, different friends? <coughs> now open your eyes. Look up here. Would it be different if God wasn't in your life? Ten years in the future, you have, this, you have this imagination going of this is who I'm going to be. Is there any difference?
between that and someone without God. Now, I'm not saying there's a normal pattern of life that is not bad. You know, we sing about it as kids. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby and a baby carriage. Okay, there's a normal pattern of life. I don't know where the babies, you know, did anybody see the babies drinking alcohol portion of the song? Did anybody see that? Okay, some of you, it's like some scurvy small town Iowa stuff. You know? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but I don't get, I'm not referring to that part of the line. I just want to make sure. But there's a normal pattern of life. Love, marriage, baby. Okay, that's not bad at all. The normal rhythm of how that works is not bad. What I'm pointing at is, is it different at all from someone who doesn't know God? So if you're like, work, okay, I'm going to work this job. Are you living exactly like everyone else who works that job? Okay, I'm going to live in this, this city. Okay, is it just copy and paste? Everyone who kind of, your social economic status, your demographic, wherever you fit into, okay, just copy-paste, just copy-paste, copy-paste. Is it the same, or is it different? And the reason why I bring that up is if you're not going to be conformed to this world, the mold of this world, it has to affect your imagination first. It has to affect your imagination first. Because we imagine all the time. We close our eyes and think about the future all the time. Even subconsciously, we do it. You know, we're disappointed. We can't figure out why we're disappointed. Then we realize, oh, they didn't fit what I thought would happen. They didn't fit the idea of the future in my head. Allow God to shape the expectations. And hold the other things, the things that are good. I'm... It's good to get married. It's good to have kids. It's good to not live in a box. Okay? All those things are good. Okay? But you need to hold on to God's promises even more than that. And let it shape your future and your expectations even more than that. Application number two. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, there are a lot of different applications for this. Change comes from our mind. Our mind needs to change. One of the things that we need to do to pursue this is what are called the spiritual disciplines. How we pursue God. Here, here's just a list of the spiritual disciplines. Read the Bible. Meditate on the Bible. Memorize the Bible. Pray. Fast. Community, spending time in Christian community, the Lord's Supper, rest, confession, celebrate with feasts and solitude. There are more, but there's just a little list. In 2022, pursue God with one of these, or all of these. You're, you're, you're in a good time. You're thinking about the future. What are you, how are you going to pursue God? Write it out. 2022, I'm going to blank. And can I give just one point of advice for this retreat, for the winter, for the winter retreat? I would pursue solitude. And I don't mean, oh man, where did Jim go? I haven't seen him the whole time. You know, it's like, that's not what I'm talking about. Pursue some silence, get away at some point, and be with God. 
And if you can, if you're really brave, take a break from this for the weekend, okay? So, you know, text your mom, I'm not dead. <laughs> Just take a break, okay? You know, snap somebody, I'm sorry, it's ending tonight, okay? <laughs> okay? <laughs> turn, off, turn off the phone, okay? And get some real peace and quiet. Now, not in a judgmental way, so we're not going to go around, we see someone on the phone, well, he didn't listen to the application. You know, it's like, okay, remember Romans 2, don't judge, hell's hot, okay? <laughs> Just think of how can you pursue God? over the next few days, okay? And how can you turn off all the outside noises so you can really listen to Him? Because we want to discern what the will of God is for our life. And if we want to do that, we need clarity, we need quietness before God. And more than anything, we need surrender to Him. God. This is my life. It's a living sacrifice to you. I, I recently, and I know some people might not like this, but I'm reading Harry Potter to my kids. I finished the, fir the first one. Okay. And I think a lot of Christians are like Harry when he gets the sorting hat put on his head. Is this making any sense? Do we have some, some Potter heads? Okay, okay. He gets the sorting hat, gets put on his head, and what does he say? Not Slytherin, not Slytherin, not Slytherin, okay? That's what he's doing. We do that to God all the time. God, here's my life. I'll do whatever you want. But please not Africa, please not Africa. It's like, whatever it is, it's different for everybody. It's different for everybody. Here's the thing. There's a good quote from J.D. Greer. You need to put your yes on the table and let God put it on the map. There's no please not link with God. It's whatever you say, you're God. And if he says to walk backwards through every doorway for the rest of your life, it's yes. If it's Timbuktu and some Grass hut, eating crickets. Yes. If it's go there, marry that person, do this, sacrifice this, give this, yes, 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 yes. And not just yes, but oh, it would be a joy. Given what you've done for me and the worth of you and your son. Let's pray. If you found this encouraging, we hope you'll subscribe or follow for more content. Or go to our website, campusfellowship.com, for other resources. Campus Fellowship is a student organization whose goal is to come alongside local churches to reach college campuses. Thanks for listening.